Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Man, I, I'm about 10 pounds heavier, and that's just the way it's, it's going to roll until someplace in February where I decide that I can't tolerate it anymore. But I, I, how many of you guys watched that college football game yesterday, huh? I, I got to do it. You know, I got to be in, um, yeah, I got to shout it out for everybody. How many of you are Carolina fans? Wow, a little louder this year, a little louder than you were in the past when we talked about this. You know, how many years was it that Clemson had won this game? What's, uh, oh, there is a debate. There's a debate. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it, it, was, it was great. Had a great time. Hope you enjoyed all your football and all the, all the time together with family or uh, if you had a quiet Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we're beginning a series called Something Better, and uh, I'm, into, I'm into new stuff. I, I, I know it's absolutely crazy, but I love new technology. <laughs> I like new cars. I, I, I like switching things out. Uh, I told somebody the other day that um, I'm faithful to God. I don't cheat on my wife. Um, I'm, I'm a, a good friend to my friends. And, you know, I'm faithful to my family, but I will cheat on everything else. Everything else is up for grabs. So whenever Apple comes out with something or whenever Mazda comes out with something or whenever it comes out, I am right on it. I think we all enjoy something new. But, you know, something, something new is not always something better. And, um, but there have been some times when something better and something new have converged. So I looked at some of the biggest inventions or the most impactful inventions in the history of mankind uh, and to just look at a couple of them. Um, uh, the nail, that, that was, that, you remember that one, right? You remember when that came out? The nail was just first introduced. I mean, here we are. When, when I get something new, I'm like, the, I, on YouTube, you have an unpacking video. And I don't want to seem like I'm really a child here, but you can unpack it on YouTube and you can watch somebody unpacking it. Have you ever smelt your phone when you got it? At least one other person has smelt their phone when they got it. Everybody loves the new car smell. I mean, we even buy a spray to keep it in there. But can you imagine all the kids running around back and whenever it was when they were inventing the nail and all of a sudden dad comes home with, hey, kids, I... We upgraded. We got nails now. I mean, all the kids are like, oh, cool. When am I going to get my own nail? You know, and, and so I thought there was a time when there were no nails. You need to realize that. It was only Velcro. And the whole thing was being held with Velcro. And then finally the nail. How about the compass? You know, um, I didn't realize, but it's a Chinese invention. Um, Second century BC that the compass was invented, uh, but it was not used for navigation until the 11th century. That, that, that was kind of interesting. But until then, people just got in boats and just kind of, you just kind of went someplace. Um, the printing press, German inventor uh, Gutenberg in 1440, that's a big deal. The Bible was the first thing that was printed. Ah, then the good old combustion engine in the 19th century. Oh, thank the Lord for the combustion engine. Thank you for zero to 60 in under 10 seconds, you know, if you can possibly get it. But it's just the combustion engine began to change things, not only automobiles, but, but everything that we do uses engines. 
Then there's the telephone. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell made the first call and um, invented that. There was a light bulb, a little debate about who actually invented that, but Edison got credit for the first working system in the 1800s. That's turned out to be pretty good. Um, this was one that I added to the list. I added my own, you can do that if you're a speaker. You can add things to lists. And this is the one that I ask, I, because I will debate anybody that this is probably the most sociologically impactful invention. It changed everything. Refrigeration. See, before refrigeration, you had to go to market all the time. I mean, our culture was built around people who grew stuff. You couldn't freeze stuff. So, so you kind of hung with your family and then you hung in villages and people every third day would come and bring their, their groceries or their, their farm stuff to, to market and everybody would have to go shopping and you would have to do it every third day or otherwise stuff would spoil. And you could see that now you have refrigeration, you don't have to go to the store as often as you used to go before. And you don't have to interact with people as much as before. And then what people decided to build and to make began to change and moved away from an agrarian society. And then we, we gotta mention penicillin, uh, in, discovered by Alexander Fleming in 1928 and all the wonderful benefits that happened. So there are some things that were something new and they were actually something better. But we consider the iPhone 14 something new. And, and that's what we've been sold, whether, I don't know what Samsung's doing, I'm sure they got number uh, systems as well, and they release a new something. But I mean, let's just be honest, they're really not something new. They're just slight modifications to something that we've already had. Or I remember in the 19, or 1990s that cars really stalled for a while, no pun intended. But the manufacturing of cars, we had the, the Mustang II, the K car. I mean, it was a bad decade for cars, 1980s, 1990s. And the biggest thing that they would tout in the commercials is that it had um, more cup holders throughout the cab. Or they're going to sell you something that has seat warmers. Now it's ventilated seats. It's like, this is so new. It's like, no, nah, this is not new. This is kind of modification, but... We know you want new. We know that that's something in the, in the American or let's say the human psyche that we, we like new. We love something new, but not everything new has turned out to be better. And I got a couple things here. Um, there was Venetian blind glasses. Those, didn't, those were new. I remember those. Uh, they didn't work real well. Uh, the up and down vision thing was a real problem. And then there was new Coke. Anybody remember when new Coke, I think it was like 1985 came out, Coke decided to change, put a little extra sugar in it, new Coke. Uh, it was on the market for three months and then it got pulled. And then in order to fix it, Coke came out with their classic Coke that we drink today. Then there were phone fingers. I mean, I, I, I don't have a picture of the phone fingers, but you, you and so you didn't get diseases from your phone. There were these little things that you would stick on your fingers so that you could operate your phone with so that you wouldn't, you know, dirty the screen and all. And, and that didn't really work. Anybody here wearing phone fingers? And no, no, yeah, so that really didn't work. But I want to show you a video of what I think is one of the classic mess-ups. This was something new. Please, I've got to say this. 
if you own this product and you use this product, I hope it's working for you. But when I saw this, this really made me realize how ridiculous something new can be. Well, how does this mask do that? Well, if you can get the idea of what doing eight setups a second would do for your stomach, you have an idea of what Rejuvenic would do for your face. Because in essence, Rejuvenic does for the face what exercise does for the body. And the way it does that is there's a control unit that during a facial session actually sends an impulse up to the zones in the mask and actually activates oh, the face and skin to exercise, tighten, and turn. Her name's Clarissa, so we like to say that's a lot of face-ups. This is doing it eight times a second. During a facial toning session, the system delivers a mild impulse generated by a tiny 9-volt battery from the control unit. These impulses are directed to the specially designed gold-plated facial cushions of the patented facial mask and actually activate the face and skin to exercise, tighten, and tone through each of the 12 facial zones. These impulses start in the forehead facial zone and about every 20 seconds automatically move one zone at a time through each of the 12 facial zones. These zones are specifically designed to handle the major problem areas of the face. The system automatically repeats this process a total of four times during your 15-minute facial workout. The result is not only a more toned, youthful-looking face, but also a face that looks and feels fresher, more vibrant with that healthy, rosy glow. That healthy, rosy glow. So let me just say, if you're interested in getting one of those, it will totally... Can you imagine sitting around with a mask on with these diodes? Uh, my daughter, Deanna, told me that there is a new version of it. They now have infrared. That's, that does it. I'm telling you, it, we're always looking for something new that's going to change our lives. So we're constantly barraged with new philosophies, new ideologies, New, uh, we, we put new people in our lives that are going to be something better and something new. You know, um, we change out houses. We change out houses, not because the roof leaked, not because there wasn't enough room in the house. We want something new all the time. Um, we go from car to car. We go from job to job. We even go to church to church. It's like, hey, I just want to go to another church now. Why? You feel God leading you to it? It's like, no, no, no. I just want something new in my life. And the problem is, is that this something, pursuit of something better or something new can actually affect relationships. We go from marriages to marriage. We think there's that right girl or that right guy that's going to make the relationship better than the one that we had before. The problem is when it becomes a promise of something better for our lives and it really isn't something better for our lives. So God presents us the Christmas story and what we're gonna see in the Christmas story is what does God give us that is something better? What is it about this story? What is it about Jesus that is something better than what we can have today in our, in our lives? We're gonna find out that it, it fundamentally changes our expectation of life. It will change how we interact with others. It will heal how we think about ourselves. It will correct how we think about God and will also restore meaning to the universe. Now, I never got all that out of a cup holder. You know, this is not something that, that's a new cream that you put on your face to remove wrinkles. This seems to be something very powerful and has the ability to change things in our lives. So the Christmas story is full of people who are going about their ordinary life expectancy 
when God invites them to something better. And maybe that's where we are today. We're going through our normal life. And we're going to see how something better is being offered to our ordinary lives. And God uses the extraordinary to change their lives. So Mary and Joseph were going about their business. He didn't have like a a super famous job. He was a carpenter and that job probably kept him busy most of the time, just like your job does. Um, Sheep Mary probably served in the community and ran day-to-day life around her place of living. And for most people, this is what we call running out the clock scenario. And too often people are just running out the clock scenario where I'm working at this job, my plan is to work here for 20 years, and then I'm gonna retire, and then I'm gonna go over here and we're gonna do this. And this expectation is to put in my time at my job, at my work, and then I'm going to retire, and, and then something special is going to happen in your life. So we run out the clock, we put in our 20 years, we get our pension, we collect our benefits, Um, We attempt to find value in the ordinary. We travel around the country to try to see different things that will kind of spur our souls up, kind of have a trip. And you know how we use trips that way. We we go on vacations that way. It's kind of like the marriage kind of goes, and what do we say? We need to go on a trip. It's like, oh, okay. Um, Well, what about people who can't afford to go on a trip? Uh, Or you're constantly going on a trip. Sometimes I, I... I can even remember in my first marriage that one of the things that I thought that would solve the problems that we were having in my first marriage is that we needed to have another child. That would bring us together again, is if we had a common thing and all that. And I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but we do it. We do all kinds of things to try to make life better, to have or discover something better or to connect with something bigger. But what? What was Mary and Joseph going to do? I mean, really, what would, would they were going to vote against four more years of Russian oppression, uh, Roman oppression? I mean, what was that? Is that the big deal? Was it uh, Joseph decided he was going to form a carpenters' union of some sort, or uh, Mary was going to start a wine and cheese club for stay-at-home moms? You know, it's like something new, something fresh, something that would perk up life, something better. But what was there? What was there? To, this something better. And I think we have to take a real honest look at life. Um, I think it's the writer of Ecclesiastes who said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Uh, Not that new isn't fun, but it's vaporish. It gets old real fast. It's kind of like when you drive a car off a lot. I mean, it's kind of like you're loving the car, it's an awesome car, and then all of a sudden that model year turns over. And I don't know if in Black Book or Blue Book there's a special mileage level that as soon as you hit that mileage, all of a sudden the car, but all of a sudden, and the, 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 the vanity of the moment wears off. And I think we've all experienced that, that new relationship, that new spouse, that new house, that new job, all these, this new church. Everybody loves Crosstown. Everybody loves this church for about five minutes. Oh, man, for about five minutes. People will always tell me, are you a pastor, you know, uh, we just love this church. We're so glad we see this church. And I never see them again because 
not because they're bad people, but they're traveling around Charleston discovering all the wonderful churches that we have in the low country area. But you know, there are just some things that just disappear. Not that work shouldn't be done and not that cars and houses and marriages shouldn't be enjoyed, but we need to realize that, that something better is not enough to fill your soul. It really isn't. I know I keep telling you this, and I know you know this, but I'm 63. I'm at the top of my game, okay? I'm, a, I'm 35 years married. I have children that love me. I have grandchildren. I have you. I have a really cool church. I have a pretty cool profession. And I tell you what, I wake up every single day needing my soul to be filled with something meaningful because all that doesn't do it. People think, well, you must love being you. I mean, I mean, it's like you're the pastor of a church. You're God's man. It's all bull, okay? I don't get any satisfaction out of being God's man. I need something better than being the pastor of a church. I need something better than an amazing wife of 35 years. I love my little grandchildren. They're, they're from like 15 to, to, well, about four weeks in, in age. And I love every single one of them, and they're amazing. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't fill the soul. And so if you're here and you don't have the things that I just named, and you thought that if you had them, your life would be better, I'm here to vouch for those who have experienced some really cool things in their lives that it's not the answer. It is not the answer that you still wake up in the morning having to discover what is the purpose of life, what is the meaning of life. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 89. This sounds really depressing. But he says, remember how short my time is. For what vanity you you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of hell or Sheol? I mean, it's like, this sounds depressing. And this is what this writer is saying to God. It's like, you see what you created here? We just live and none of us can change the outcome. We all die. Now I tell you, you could look at that as depressing or you discover something better because that's without Jesus. That's exactly what life is without Jesus. If you're thinking about, hey, you're gonna work your job, you say you're 30 years old, you're gonna work your job for 20 years, and then you and your wife are gonna travel, or you and your husband are gonna travel, and you're just gonna, it's gonna be awesome, you're gonna be in your golden years. It is a crock. It is an absolute crock. Your money doesn't go as far as it should. You turn out you don't even like the person that you just put in all that time with. You know, I mean, it's, it's your body hurts and, and all this. And, and why, am I, why am I doing this? This is supposed to be Christmas. We're supposed to be singing <laughs> joy to the world, okay? I'm here to tell you, because most of you are about to drop a, a thousand bucks on something new to try to make something better at home, and it's not gonna work. You're gonna, you're gonna be January 15, and you're gonna look around, and you're still gonna hate that son of a gun. And you, the kids, you couldn't give them enough, 
Because you can't give them enough. You can't. I'm telling you, you can't. It's not because they're bad kids. It's because they're you and me. You could never give me enough. To stop that feeling when I wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, yeah, it's me again. And it's the world again. So Jesus comes along and he gives us something better. Something incredibly better. And Mary and Joseph present themselves for something better. And it happens in their life. See, and I need you to remember this. Because I don't know why we preach the gospel so wrong in America. Maybe because we're Americans. But Mary, Mary and Joseph are going back after having Jesus and they're going back to Nazareth in like five years after running for their lives, going to Egypt and going to Jerusalem and then going to Galilee and then finally getting back to Nazareth about five years later. Guess what they are when they get back to Nazareth? Poor. It's like, ah, oh, okay. So something better is not being one of, being the 1%. I'm telling you, no, I I don't think it is though everybody in America is the 1% of the world. It'd be better if I was white. It'd be better if I was black. It'd be better if I was male, better if I was female. See, this is my great sorrow on this transgender issue. It's not that people are going to hell or I'm angry that they're ruining America or any other kind of narrative. It's that they're looking for something better and it's not going to work. And not only that, we're teaching children at young ages in school that they shouldn't be happy with them and they can become something better. And it's not just, it's not just about sex, though, but we put a lot of pressure on sex in America. We really do. It is supposed to be the great something better. I won't go any further on that in my own personal life. But I'm just telling you, Jesus is the something better and what God has to offer us. So sometimes you have to get the bad story before you can get the good news. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled as a saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Let me just tell you, God, something better has no obstacles. There is nothing that can get away in the way of God, something better in your life. And even Mary had a moment, it's like, I just don't see myself out of this. How do I get out of this? You're talking about something, something better, but I don't see a path to this. And the angel answered 
and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now let me just tell you what all that meant theologically to Mary. Absolutely nothing. There was no precedence for the language that's being used right now talking to her. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're gonna, and this is gonna happen, and all of a sudden I'm gonna be pregnant, and all this. Mary's hearing this for the first time, having the angel explain it to her. She has no idea what this means. To be honest with you, we still don't know what this means. But she's like, I want something better. I want God something better even if I don't know what it means. And the angel says, behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is gonna be a theme you're gonna hear today. And this in the sixth month with her, whom was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, both Mary and Joseph had decided that they wanted the something better that God was offering. That's where it's all going to, this is going to play out in your life today. Do you want God something better? I, it's okay to want, you know, Lexus's something better. It's, it's, or Hilton Head's something better, or Jackson Hole's something better once in a while. But the bottom line is going to come down to, are you going to want God something better? And I think that's where we get the rub a little bit. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I want his something better. I got my own taste of what something better is. I, I, I don't prefer God's taste of something better. But Mary and Joseph decided, yeah, you know that whole part, the depressing part that I read a few uh, moments ago, and we thought it was kind of, Wow, what a weird thing to read at Christmas time. It's like, no, they've been staring in that face, in their face, all their lives. You know, we have the convenience of convenience. They didn't have any of that. So that when God came along and offered them something better, she's like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, but you don't understand. Well, you, the Holy Spirit will come. Yeah, well, let's do that. And well, what will be born of you will be the same. Yeah, let's do that. And sometimes you got to get to a place where all your little, you know, moving your stuff around, trying all your trips, all your dates, all that, all whatever it is that you do, and all your something news don't work. And it's almost like a gift from God. And I know you don't want to hear that, that your something new doesn't work so that you can discover something better. They had to allow their lives to be interrupted by God. It's the only way you get something better from God. You're gonna to have to allow your life to be interrupted. He's not gonna come alongside of you while you continue to conduct your life and kind of sprinkle dust over you as you travel. You know, no bibbidi-bobbidi-boo in this story. You're going to have to let yourself be interrupted by God. They had to allow their path to deviate from some something same old, same old. And that's, that's so true. They had to be willing to let that same old, same old be interrupted in their life. You're not satisfied with your family? You're not satisfied with the Thanksgiving you just had? 
You're not satisfied with the old Christmas you had last year. You're not satisfied with your marriage. You know, then you've got to allow yourself to be interrupted by God and not be satisfied with same old, same old. Me and Susan are going through it right now. We have this amazing life together and we wake up in this house and we're kind of like, you know, it's just the two of us now, right? Yeah. It's like my yard is prolific with inflated Santa Clauses and, and, and trees and all of a sudden. And I'm literally was standing out there yesterday and I'm like, you know, the kids don't come to visit until like the 17th of December, right? And she said, yeah. So I'm just basically a 63-year-old with a bunch of inflatables in his backyard. Yeah, that's kind of creepy, isn't it? <laughs> and it's like, I need to go get some children and bring them back here. That, you know, it's like, like, that sounds even creepier, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I don't care where you find yourself in life, you have got to decide are you going to let it continue the way that it is, same old, same old, or are you going to allow God to bring something better into your life? They had to embrace anciently new ideas. I'm telling you, your best future is not coming from Twitter. Your best future is not on Facebook. Your, your something new is probably something ancient. It's beautiful. You know, this whole idea that of redemption is not a new idea. It's just new for Mary at that particular moment. But it's an ancient idea. All this talk about the throne of David and he'll sit on, he'll be the son of the most high and son of man, son of God. That's not new language. That's not like New Testament stuff. This, is, this has been going on for a while. But for Mary, when it intersects her life, it is something new, but it's something ancient. And I tell you what, it's, it's why we watch Lord of the Rings, if you do. It's why we watch Lord of the Rings or uh, some other classic type. It's why you watch old Christmas movies, because you want to connect with something older, a different time period. There's something about, you know, uh, uh, watching a Christmas story and Ralphie and that lamp and, and all that other stuff that, that's, that goes on in the bumpuses, you know, when the dogs run in and they get the turkey and all that. There's something about why we watch that on TBS over and over and they run it for 24 hours because people need something old, something ancient to connect with. It gives us a sense of rootedness, but we also want something new. And that's what Mary's encountering. That's what God's offering you this year. Yes, it's an ancient story. And yes, let me just tell you, as a pastor, to try to come up with some creative way to tell this story is the most difficult part of the year. It's like, yeah, it's a Christmas story again. What are we gonna do? I don't know, you know, let's show a video. I don't know, something. And it's like, but every time I look into the story, I discover something ancient, but I discover something new. And that's what God's inviting every one of us to. So what were the promises of something better for Mary and for Joseph? I mean, once the angel disappears, once the baby is born, what is the something new? You know, they didn't get a new house. Rome was still there. You know, they were still living in poverty. Nazareth didn't even register as a city. It was basically a very poor subdivision. I would say my mom 
was from, uh, my dad was from Bayside, my mom was from Bedford-Stuyvesant. I would say this was probably more like Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York City. This is a very small area, and at this particular time, it was depressed. So, what was the takeaway? What was the something new? Well, Mary tells us what the something new was. Something better. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a song that she writes or she says to Elizabeth. It's called the Magnificat in church history. It's kind of like this famous thing that Mary says. But what she's doing is she's going to tell us how something better happened to her, but it didn't affect the car she drove, the house she lived in, the neighborhood she was grown up in, didn't change the color of her skin or her gender or the, the occupation of the Romans. It didn't change any of that. But listen to what it does. She says this in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's like, what? She's like, my soul is just like bursting. Would you win the lottery? What, what did, did you get a new house? Did you get a new man? You know, what is it that changed so significant? And she's just like, no, I'll tell you what, my soul is blowing up and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his service, servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is blowing up in her. This is the something better. Mercy that flows from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Something ancient, something new. And Mary's soul, though her economics has not changed, though war is happening around the world, there was something exploding inside of her soul about, about God's love in her life. That's your something better. And I mean this with all, with all passion of God as I could possibly must. Do not end your marriage until you do this first. Because you're something new. 80% of it don't work, okay? Don't sell your house because you can get a lot of money for it and then move into another house so that you can do this so that you and your husband or whoever, your wife can be just happy. And it's like, don't do any of it. Don't quit your job. Don't leave this church. Don't go anywhere until you first decide that you want something better from God. Because you might be getting rid of something that you could be totally happy with. 
Oh, boy. <laughs> this is going to mess up my car shopping real fast. <laughs> but seriously, we do so much stuff to try to come, have that feeling of something better when God is offering it to us in this story. And here is this humble servant as she refers to herself. Um, sounds like something new, but it's, it's more than that. Interestingly enough, another woman, a song that was written by another woman earlier, centuries earlier, wrote almost identically the same song when the Lord gave her something better. Her name was Hannah. She wrote this. My soul exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Do you see the same juxtaposed language that's going on here in these two women? They're, they're, and also what you're going to find out, there's a child involved in these two women. And I will relate that in just a second, so don't go anywhere with that. But so she's talking about this idea of those who normally wouldn't be satisfied with life, all of a sudden because of the Lord being satisfied and those who are proud in the accomplishments of their life being brought low by the Lord. That's why it's, it's not about how many dollars you make a year. It's about what is your something better? Because if you think it's your job, if you think it's the money, then what God, God's saying here is like, I bring that low. And I lift up those who put their hope in me, even if their estate is humble in the world's view. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them, he will thunder in heaven. Okay? Can I just say this? I mean, I've already screwed up Christmas. Ladies, you will not find your strength in feminism. Okay? That's juxtaposed to men is going to win you nothing. Um you will find this radical strength in the Lord. I mean, this woman is spitting it out. I mean, this is, this is the kind of language you hear in a huddle at the NFL on Sunday at about a one o'clock. It's like, we're gonna bring our adversaries down. He's gonna bring up this. He's gonna bring that low. My salvation, the Lord is the horn of, you know. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, you reach your highest potential, not because you showed all those white people or all those black people or all those men or all those women or any of that. That's ridiculous. It's not gonna make it work. It's find your hope in the Lord. That'll transform anybody's life. Don't do anything until you first do this. In Christ, there is something better. There is a fundamental shift in the internal system evaluation. I, I experience this. 
what I value now, I play with the other stuff, but my internal system evaluation is totally changed because of Christ. That's big. That'll change what you spend your money on, where you go, what you think about. There's an adversity-bearing confidence of the rescue and the justice of God. You can put up with a lot of crap and you know that God's gonna take care of it all. That you don't have to fight every fight. That in the middle of adversity, that there will be justice done. There is a connection restored between the personal, the earth, and the heavens. That's big for me. I'm connected to something bigger, not just my company, not just my church, not just my football team. The Patriots don't know I even exist. I went to the Patriots training camp and I got escorted by security off the property. I ended up in the wrong place. It wasn't my fault, but really security had to come and get me and they escorted me off. I'm like, I'm a Patriots fan. And they're like, we don't care. You're trespassing. Now get off our property. It's like, but there's a connection through Christ with the personal, with the earth, and with the heavens. Everything begins to, to relate to each other. It's amazing. It's something better. Let me close with what Paul said. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if that's not something better, you can't buy that anywhere. Grace and peace from God. Blessed be the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Huh. You got cup holders? Yeah, I think they got cup holders. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, and we can put in there as sons and daughters. I, there's a good theological reason why to keep it sons, but I'll explain that at another time. The adoption to sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, this is what Hannah and Mary got a hold of. Now, let me close with this part, and I'm gonna do this as sensitively as I can. Mary is dealing with this thing and this impossible moment, and it involves a child, okay? That's how God framed this story lesson. Hannah is praying the same prayer or singing the same song she was barren and couldn't have a child and she discovered that she was going to have a child and that was the prayer that she prayed in result to it. Again, the story is framed with a child. There is one other place in Psalm 113 where almost the exact same language and song is sung. And in the story, in Psalm 113, you can read it at your own time, it says he causes the barren to become the mother of children. All three stories involve children. Now I know you're, you may be here and you might not have been able to have a child. This is, this is not about 
God making life better because we have children. That was, it's just how we framed the story. What the children represent is the potential of any person's life, meaning, value. And so many of us are going through life barren. That it's, it, the marriage isn't working out the way that I thought of it. It didn't deliver. Um, my job was supposed to be so amazing and it didn't deliver. America, retirement, you know, the house, the job, it didn't deliver. And that's what God's talking to us today. It's about making the impossible happen when we can't deliver. When everything that we've tried, that we're reminded, and please let me just continue with this in a very mature, even monthly, reminded that a child is not going to be conceived this month. So many of us are living with reminders of things that we wanted to have happened that didn't happen. And the only fix for that is something better. And the only something better that can heal that heart is God. It really is. Some of us have tried so many things from cocaine to new jobs, to marriages, to sex changes, to everything, looking for something better. And the story of Christmas is that God wants to give you something better. He wants to lift up your broken life. Sometimes you gotta hear the bad news before the good news looks really good. Sometimes you gotta lose a lot to discover how much God really wants to give you. Father, Lord, you have, you have taken us to places that can be so dark for people. Literally and figuratively. And Lord God, I know this isn't a person here who has tried to live life, who hasn't had a moment when it didn't deliver. But Lord God, with you, there's something better. That in your hands, you hold all of our attempts, all of our failures. You hold it all. And it's precious to you. Because we're trusting you with it. God, for some of us here, we feel barrenness. But you have told us today that more kids will not fix this. More money will not fix this. Doubling our Christmas budget will not fix this. Only Jesus will fix it. And Lord God, today we open up to that because it's the only thing that Mary and Hannah and the psalmist boasted about in the midst of their barrenness is that they, their souls were magnified on how close God overshadowed them and 
brought life to them. God, today, we ask that you fill those spaces of our lives with something better.